Welcome to the showdown in streaming's Wild West, where dreams of ad gold face the reality of ad fraud and privacy concerns. As traditional TV fades, streaming platforms promise targeted ad nirvana. But with $50 billion on the line and ad overload, we ask, are streaming ads a gold mine or a mirage? Join us on this adventure, navigating through skepticism and change, ready for twists and turns in the search for truth. And no more than you did yesterday. Welcome aboard the Adotat Show, where marketing, media, and ad tech converge. Fasten your seatbelts as your host, Pesat Latin steers you through the digital world of advertising trends and marketing innovations. Welcome to the Donut Show, the epicenter of streaming ad wizardry, where we don't just discuss the future, we invent it. Let's meet our digital gladiators today. Scott Schiller, the mastermind morphing media into gold mines for top brands, and Gary Mittman of Curve, crafting the ad revolution with AI allure. Alan Walk, the sharpshooter of streaming TV wisdom, cutting through the noise. And Aaron Hari look of Cadent blending strategy and creativity to sketch the future. Hunter Terry at Lotami, the tech sorcerer linking the dots in a cookie-less realm. And last but not least, we have Aziz Rahim Tula of Savio Holdings, the CTV pioneer, pushing diversity and innovation to new heights. Together, they're set to unravel the mysteries of streaming ads. Buckle up for a dive into digital genius and breakthroughs. And I'm your host, Pacelock Latin. You ready? The stage is set. And the conversation is about to begin. Deserve to win when it matters most. Facing multi-billion dollar bet the company litigation? No problem. That's why we're here. Troutman Amin, LLP is a true legal powerhouse. The great ad migration, streaming new frontier, are fool's goal. The main question is, are streaming video ads, the Eldorado of advertising, are just fool's paradise? First, we're going to ask Alan again. Okay, again? I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, um, we're going to edit this, so... Okay. So, so there's only yeah, one so take. I do think that it will eventually become the Eldorado. Right now, there's a little bit of a struggle. Um, and that is because there's most of what's available to advertise against on streaming is still reruns. Um, and if you're a big brand like Pepsi or Ford, somebody who spends nine figures on TV advertising and you spent $20 million to produce your TV commercial, you want it running against original programming, whether that makes sense or not, right? So you want it running against something that's going to get a lot of marketing spend from whoever's running it. Right now, you're only really getting that on, or you have only really been getting that on Hulu. There's a couple of originals on some of the fast. And that's changing and changing rapidly. So about three weeks ago, Amazon switched everybody over to ad-supported, and that added about 50 to 60 million people. Amazon doesn't ever release numbers, but that's sort of our estimate, somewhere in that range, into ad-supported streaming, and there's a lot of originals on on Amazon. At the same time, you have Netflix, Disney, Max, Peacock, Paramount, everybody sort of rolling out their own original programming that is against their ad-supported and, you know, their ad-supported tiers are growing. Um, you've got sports. Sports are all always ad-supported on streaming. So between all of that, at one point, we're going to get critical mass. And then all of the big brands are going to go, oh, I get it. Now it makes sense. This is like this, you know, SVOD is kind of like prime time. Fast are kind of like cable. Here's all our money. Go. Yeah, the, the evolution of it in the fast world, I was, uh, I, I said in the past that I, I feel like it's kind of like FM radio. and But I do think that the niche capability is going to be interesting as we start seeing a category yeah, we of also, specific you know, content all... aggregators 
I think they're going to have a big uh, layer. Of also, seeing though, like you know, Netflix was able to take shows that have not really been watched a whole lot in the past and and showcase. That's right, and even just shows that were made domestically and that never really were watched and had appeal. And the reality is, linear TV has been in this deprecation for a long time. Uh, I worked in at NBC, and you know, as the last time I was at NBC was two thousand eight. Even then. The shows were basically just dropping like flies. I mean, ER was going to nothing. So the reality is there's so much that is out there that still is left to be discovered. And, and I the, think to the, make that discovery more easy, easy uh, for advertisers and, and then a benefit to the consumers where that targeting comes in, right? So if an advertiser is trying to reach a specific consumer, the targeting on that ad with the right partner is what's going to bring that you know, bring that to the forefront, whether they're watching a rerun of ER or, you know, something brand new on Netflix. Yeah, to merge in um, what Aziz and Han said, um, the, there's the data dump, right? That's probably what you're referencing, Aziz, as far from Netflix, as far as the, the stats yeah. go on, um, like, licensed content, old content. Um, the fact is, though, that Netflix just doesn't have the the reach from an ad supported perspective to be able to generate that buzz that Alan was really kind of focusing in on um, until that, you know, that scale is there in one place to get that awareness out there. I think we're going to be waiting a little while. So maybe not gold, but like a tarnished silver, perhaps. Um, We did see with Amazon though, that IPG, you know, signed up and they've got billions and billions of dollars. So um, I think that will have a cascade. Finding the right partner. Right. So, um, I think it's extremely difficult for advertisers right now to evaluate the vast array of data partners, of content providers, um, and find some consistency in measurement as they go to market. So I think it's certainly tough for them, but I think the potential is there. Are most content partners real? That's my. I have that real question because I was reading what last year there was a there were there are videos that were showing on um, toasters. I think right. Um, there was a report that um, someone was running ads on toasters that didn't actually have screens. I mean, do you think that a lot of these smaller content providers are even real or are they just trying to repurpose bots? I think there's you, a have to, you have to filter out where you're spending money. I mean, obviously, you yeah. have to manage it appropriately. But I, I think the key comes with the the splintering of all of these variables. It becomes contextual relevance. It goes back to what we started doing in the old web days with web pages and then what's the scrape of the content and then correlate and match against relevance. I think we're, we're finding that that value happens within video content itself, where the content is, there's issues with brand safety, there's issues with other variables. And you really want to make sure that your ad or the advertiser is placing that in a place that makes sense for their brand more than just is it behavior. Since we got Scott back, where are we getting this wrong, Scott? I wanted to get back to you real fast. Sorry, Alan. (laughs) I think think that we have to remember that uh, Linear is still the largest game in town from an industry perspective. And while we all see where the future is going and the the individual shows are reaching fewer and fewer people, the, the game is moving from demographic to audiences. And audience buying is becoming uh, the norm for television is just taking time because the measurement hasn't been worked out yet and the industry hasn't fully migrated and you have this thing called programmatic which is upsetting the apple cart of the way television was bought and sold i actually think that you take that piece and you put that 
over aside. And then you think about what's going on with streaming and the, the move to streaming. Within a year or two, streaming is essentially going to be what network television was in the sense that the, the, the programming, the model, the discovery, the new, the new cable bundle will exist as this all plays itself out. And the business model of what was just became subscriptions because consumers were crazied by the amount of ads that were going on on a TV show is going to be a mixture of advertising uh, and, 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 and streaming. And so I would say that the biggest hurdle the industry has is discovery. The consumers can't find the content. They don't know where to look when something's on. And once that gets solved, which will happen over the next few years, advertisers will feel more comfortable. But I will tell you that I believe that advertisers aren't ready yet to shift the money over. And it's not just a reach thing. It's a little bit of an ecosystem thing because they can still do okay with with what they're doing, as evidenced by this weekend when 123 million people watched mostly linear feeds of of you know the largest game in town. So I wouldn't say that anyone's wrong. I would say that it's not as dire as it sounds. I don't know. Outside of Super Bowl, it, it is pretty dire. I mean, dire, if you think yeah. about YouTube, would agree. YouTube TV yeah. is really, I don't even think linear. If you talk to anyone, Scott, under the age of 25, and you ask them what cable, what, what broadcast <laughs> network they watch, they'll look at you with a blank stare. No, they watch shows. If you want to, if you want to reach 55 year olds and above, great. Awesome. Cable news is awesome. It's a great place to watch them. Broadcast TV is a great place to be. But if you want to be someone who's actually in the target demo of 25 to probably 40, I, they don't even know what NBC, ABC, CBS, well, CNN. they're not buying, but they're not there. I would, first of all, just to, 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 to level set, I, uh, spend, you know, a couple days a week at NYU teaching undergrads. They're all 20. And yep. they, they don't think about, they think about the shows. They don't think about the networks. The industry thinks about the networks, but the consumer right. wants the best show and they will watch it wherever they can. I think only about 23%, Alan, correct me if I'm wrong, only 23, 25% of, uh, of the Super Bowl was on, on, um, was on, uh, streaming and YouTube and all that. And the, the majority was on linear distribution. Yeah, but you can't, you can't yeah. take the one-off of an event like the Super Bowl yeah. and make that right. precedence. I mean, if you look at the overall market for Nielsen stating, looking here at a chart, that on broadcast, it's 20% of the people, cable 29, streaming 38%. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's clearly the streaming world, as you say, though, Scott, it's about the show. Totally agreed. But I think the majority of the viewership isn't happening on linear. Linear daytime TV is 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 Byron Allen. I mean, it's and, and by the way, if you, took a, if you took a Taylor Swift concert and you put it on YouTube, it would actually out deliver the probably Super Bowl. Taylor Swift on herself on her own probably like the majority. I'm gonna split you guys down the middle here because I think so. It's it's not as dire. In other words, most people still have a pay TV subscription, right? In the U.S., it's dropped considerably. Now, viewership tends to be older. 
right? So yes, younger people are watching less. But we did a report on local TV, and we were surprised at how many people under forty said that they still sometimes, yeah, they still watch local TV a couple times a week. Um, and there's a huge sample size. We did it with PCH. It was a sample size of over six six zero thousand weighted. Um, but it's slipping. People are watching less and less, and they're watching more and more streaming. I mean, it's it's all heading in that direction. Um, you know, the other thing that's weird to me is that people consider YouTube TV streaming because it's really just a recreation of the cable bundle with a different yeah. delivery system. I mean, you know, I'm buying the ad on CBS. It's still the same ad is running on YouTube TV is running on Comcast. Um, it's when they actually say, okay, we don't need YouTube TV anymore. I don't need, because we call it a nicotine patch, YouTube, Hulu, and they're huge. They're like, if you combine all of them, they're bigger than Comcast or Charter, um, you know, but it's a nicotine patch. So they go, okay, I don't, I don't need this anymore. And that could be five years or so. Everything in this industry moves so slowly. But even YouTube TV has like a churn rate, right? Like you basically yeah. get YouTube TV for a couple of months to watch sports. You cancel it, and they make it really easy. Pause now. Yes, you know, for a couple of months. Oh yeah, it's, 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 it's cable element, right? You don't need a cable. Yeah, I mean, given yeah, no, I mean, no. and again, is these even even from a base? Even like if I don't plan it, I'm just like okay, a monthly contract that's like half the price of one that locks me in for two right. years. That's not a really hard choice. I signed up for it for a Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm canceling post Super Bowl. I yeah. don't like, and then I'll. Sign back up when the Lakers back in it. I know the Knicks won't be back in the finals. The Lakers will be back. In it. So, but yeah. <laughs> I just sorry, I had to throw that out there for all the New Yorkers. But to Scott's point, though, I, we watched it on CBS broadcast. We didn't watch it on on any pay streaming. But but Alan, a question for you on the uh, the linear TV viewership. What are they watching? Isn't it mostly just local news? A lot of it is local news, and there's there's a lot of local stuff. There's like a lot of local content too, like talk shows and judge shows and stuff like that that people seem to be watching on. I don't know what else to call it. Um, <laughs> on on you know on, on local on local TV and things like that. But yeah, and there's some people. You know, Prime Time still gets some viewership. You shows like Abbott Elementary, or Ghosts, or like again, there's this whole. And another thing we talk about, Gary, is there's this whole sort of cadre of shows that don't get a lot of recognition from, you know, the New York Times, you know, things like Fire Country on CBS, which draws, you know, what do we figure? It was like five or six times the viewership of Succession. You know, it's, it's you know, it's it's a popular show with a certain audience, you know, and that, and that you know, we don't, we might not know people in that audience, but it doesn't mean they don't exist. So in the golden age of consumer connection, are we just gold plating the same type of interruption marketing? I mean, I, as someone pointed out, we're using the same ads. It seems to be the same ads that were on broadcast TV, on linear TV, that are showing online. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's funny. Different. Different. I'm sorry. I wrote, it's funny. I put a post up on LinkedIn, which has been like, I don't want to say going viral, but almost, about how the ad, the one feedback I got from the Super Bowl, from almost everybody I talked to, was how much the ads sucked. Um, and... <laughs> I mean, they were just real. I mean, and I used to be, I, I don't, you all don't know this. I spent the first 15 years of my career as a creative director at ad agency. So this is sort of yeah. near and dear to my heart. And, and I heard this back from a lot of friends who are still in that part of the business. And we've so downgraded the creative element in terms of like where we're placing stuff. And, and it's got to be both. Like, the, you know, if the ad is ignored, it doesn't matter how well targeted it is. 
it's still, you know, we still have to sort of entertain people and, and show them something that they want to see. And then when you add on the targeting, then it's super effective. And to your point, Pesach, we don't need, you know, we, we can move beyond just doing 30s all the time. Like there should be other formats. So Gary, want, want to speak to other formats? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you for that uh, lead-in. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that the changing evolution is about engagement, right? At the end of the day, we have an opportunity now. Digital opened up the door for interactivity. We, as you know, do it all the way down the line in digital. And now we're doing it in CTV and OTT with shoppable shows, TV shows that are engaging and shoppable with correlating a, a, a products and categories. and really expanding the engagement and the lean in versus just the lean back. So the formats are, are varied. You've got the, the L, you've got the QR, you've got, I mean, look at the Super Bowl last year with Coinbase and the one big QR code just moving around the screen. That was the highest engagement of anything anywhere, you know, and all it was was a blue screen with a QR code. So I think we're seeing the, the ad and creative world understand a little more that there's interactivity here, an extension to a second device and or the TV remote. And for ads that actually have uh, a click on it for video ads, uh, it's around almost 2%, 1.8% higher than social media. That's how, how effective it would be if all the ads had it. But you yeah, know, outside, outside, of QR code, outside of QR code, is anyone really going to, let's be real, like outside of QR code, and we know the telephone, the phone is the primary device in that. So you're telling me, and I think not you, Gary. I'm not saying this. I'm saying there's a lot of there's a lot of BS in the marketplace about oh, someone's going to sit there fiddle around with their TV to order a pizza when you can actually do it on your app in a split second. So like I I don't buy into some of the the creative component, especially as you look at diverse audiences who have been using the phone as a primary vehicle this whole time. To your point, uh, the 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 component of engagement has to be invited. Right. So, I mean, if Louis Vuitton runs an ad with 50 percent off, they're going to be scrambling for their phones. So it's really back to what's the creative and what's the offer. The engagement is only good as the enticement invites. It's also interesting, Gary, if you remember, you guys Curve had done this event at Khan and there was a, one of the panels was um, it was Roku and I forget who, who else was on the panel. But I guess Roku is very heavily invested in using the remote. To yeah. sort of instead of the um, QR code, um, they were having a whole debate over that. Yeah, I was on that panel actually. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> it was me and Roku. Yeah, I mean, it's look, we're we're invested in that too. I mean, we're we're right yeah. now with NBC doing shoppable TV with them with the TV remote. We could click across the whole thing. I mean, at the end of the day, Amazon is going to own that. Let's be honest, because Amazon has your Prime account. So when you're on Prime and you're watching on X-ray and you can. Pause the show, look at a product, click it. You can do a TV remote one click to transact. That exists, right? They have your account. They have your prime data. It's simple. If the Roku's want to integrate registration data with opt-in for purchase, then they can do TV remote just as efficiently. But I think at the end of the day, the bulk of the market isn't going to want to do that and is going to live on the second device. Let's get to the nitty-gritty. Is Flash TV a flash in the pan, or is it time for subscription services to fasten their seatbelts? What is Flash TV? <laughs> oh, fast. <laughs> I say Flash. No, Sorry. Like, yeah, each other like, uh, yes, oh we're God, going back to Flash. <laughs> we're going back That's to Flash animation. Maybe they... 2003, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. I think it's kind of been said, right? Like, 
I think this is the evolution of TV. So um, I think there's oh, I think there's going to be continue to be a place for it, um, whether it's in conjunction with more pre- like premium CTV um, SVOD services or in conjunction with linear. Right. Like I I think that there um, is is room for it. I think it goes back to what's been said. Right. It's FM. It's cable versus broadcast. Um, it's just a, a bringing together of all the different um, content, new, old, to, to bring it to consumers and to, to audiences, ultimately. Isn't, isn't it going to become niche, though, at the end of the day? I mean, if people are going to be repeating back to what they are interested in. So if, if it's, yeah. you know, the, the, the National Geographic, let's say, or, or HGTV is a good example. You know, I think people are going to go to uh, things that they are interested in, and those networks or those channels need to expand the content, either aggregate mm-hmm. from historical or create new to satisfy mm-hmm. those niches. Yeah, yeah, almost represent- half of consumers, sorry, almost half of consumers want fast TV, <laughs> free ad support TV, but only ten percent of consumers actually have it. Why is it? It takes uh, first of all the content, which I think Alan alluded to earlier in the call. It, it's about the content migration into like the fast channels. The quality of content is improving every day, and I think that plays a big role. But to Gary's point. I believe cable was obviously a solution for broadcast because it allowed you to go after niche audiences. And fast channels are a solution to cable because cable was not niche enough. And I think that really is the way we view it, especially when you look at the composition of fast channels. Outside of the Roku folks, the Roku channel viewers tend to be uh, you know, mid-market, older, but the other platforms tend to have more diversity into their actual viewership. And so, you know, the Plutos, obviously the the Samsungs and whatnot. And so I think this is really kind of niche audiences. It's going to be a solution for what cable was lacking. And from our perspective, especially when 49.1%, 49.1, according to the last census, 49.1% of this country is diverse, uh, which I, I think I call BS on that. Like it's only 49.1 of, uh, in terms of Gen Z, that number continues to grow. And so if you look at that age group and the consumption patterns between YouTube TV, YouTube general general market, and also all the different uh, channels, there's a huge opportunity for niche audiences across the board. Yeah, and you've also got, I mean, I think we also need to distinguish, there's sort of on a macro level, three types of fast channels. There's the ones that are attached to the OEMs, which are basically sort of the you know, front and center of their interface. I turn on a Samsung or Vizio LG TV, boom, there's their fast. It's like, you know, and as a consumer, they're experiencing it differently. It's like, here's this free TV that happens when I turn on my TV versus, say, a Pluto, which is an app that I have to sort of specifically seek out and has a lot of original content from or unique content, I should say, from, you know, from Paramount. And then all these independent niche, you know, you know there's a lot of, you know, independent niche apps, which to make things more confusing, also have channels on some of the bigger services. Um, another thing I think we're going to see happening, which is going to continue with Fast, is I think the SVODs are going to all start putting linear channels. And we already see that Peacock and Paramount have linear channels. And, you know, what I've been hearing is everyone else is considering it, especially for their library content, especially because they've moved to add free right now. 
me to add support it, excuse me. Because if you want people to continue watching, to watch more, give them a linear channel with ads on it, they'll watch more. It just seems to sort of be a no-brainer given that consumers seem, you know, like having linear channels. Yeah, are advertisers excited about the growth? Linear is the original fast channel, Al. Yes, yes. <laughs> Right, and fast and fast and people also don't distinguish between fast channels and fast services. So fast services like Pluto or the Roku channel have both linear channels and on demand. And another thing we're seeing is tighter integration of that to I think as easy you're making that point. If I if I'm watching the National Geographic channel and I go, Oh, you know, I want to actually see more shows about giraffes, I can go into the on demand and then watch it. And that makes just a better better experience overall. And, and we've heard in five years, heard, where will most of the ad budgets go to? In fast, sorry, uh, there's a cleanup going go on with the existing fast channels. And what they're doing, the platform players, the Samsungs, the Vizios, the LGs, what they're doing is they're eliminating some of these lower performing channels. The reason being is these major cable, these these content providers are coming in, right? The NBCs, the CBSs, and they're coming in with five, six channels at a time to take their content from the libraries and push them into fast. So the quality of content is really improving at a rapid pace in, in fast channels. And I think you will see consumers move to that, uh, especially as the, the subscription services continue to increase price and lower the quality of service. They're reducing what they're pro providing because they got to make well, it profitable. As, as Scott said, though, it's about discovery. I mean, now yeah. you're flooding the world with options. How are they going to find those great content? So, I mean, it's a double-edged sword all the way around. I mean, with streaming in general, there is a, a choice fatigue, like there is ad fatigue and subscription fatigue. And I, I think that's why Fast is, is here and why it will stay is because it has the spontaneity. I think everyone's forgetting that the history of television began with advertising and sponsorship. Advertisers funded the content. And I think that that model is probably never going away. What, what is happening is the distribution and the discovery are evolving as technology has driven new habits. And then the business model is correcting uh, with a mixture of subscriptions and advertising. And and I do believe at some point in time, uh, commerce coupled with television will become meaningful beyond just for Amazon, and it will become meaningful to the ecosystem of of uh, video, and that will be yet another important revenue stream of 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 scale. Scott, we're seeing it now. We're seeing it with our partnerships with the networks and the shoppable shows that we're doing. Consumers are buying. So they're, they're seeing the sweater, they're picking out their phone, they're scanning the QR, and they're purchasing. So the, the real interesting thing, and we originally thought this years ago, was that with subscription fatigue and training people not to see ads, that they're going to be looking for an alternative way to enjoy without interruption. So user curated experiences of purchasing, purchasing products they see in the show is an alternative that we're seeing is just starting to get legs, is starting to show value. But Gary, I think you, you bring a valid point. And, you, and, and you know, the focus of data-driven, which I think Aaron talked about, data-driven targeting and capacity is critical, right? And that's really, if you look at influencers on YouTube, they're making most of their money 
not off like running their shows. They're making it off merchandise. So it's like it's about time the rest of the industry actually started recognizing there's a different model that needs to be looked at from a you know merchandise perspective relative to just straight ads. Moving on, our personalized streaming ads, Cupid's Arrow, are Big Brother's watchful eye. For example, if you Googled, why does my cat hate me? Do you really want to get cat yoga mats for the rest of your life? Well, that's relevance, right? That goes yeah. to relevance. I think it goes, like Aziz mentioned, you know, he's talked about um, Gen Z. I think Gen Z and millennials, digital natives, right? Like that's not, while it might sometimes feel like a weird experience, um, I want to say we, but I'm on the older edge of millennial. Uh, millennials and Gen Z, you know, it's used to it, right? Like you Google something, you get the ad in your in your social feed, and then you're watching your connected TV, and I'm served the same ad. Gives you a little moment of huh, but also extremely relevant. I didn't have a chance to click on that ad in my social feed. Oh, I meant to go check out that sale. If Louis Vuitton had fifty percent off, I'd be running running down the down Fifth Avenue. <laughs> trust me, right? But you know, it's about, it's about the target audience, right? Um, You know, older, older demographics might find that more alarming. Of course, privacy and your, again, your partner, your data partner, how your first party data and any publisher's data is being utilized um, to target those audiences is extremely important. But from a consumer perspective, you know, it sort of depends on who you're reaching. It's also so really a hard case to, to sort of hit these. So we call it the left-handed juggler conundrum. So in if I am advertising on, there's one Google, there's one Meta, right? So if I want to reach left-handed jugglers and I go to Google, they've got 10,000 of them for me. If I go to one of the TV networks, they're responsible like, yeah, neither of them watch that show. <laughs> they don't have that size audience. They don't have that scale yet because there's a lot of them and it's, it's pretty you know spaced out. Now, the flip of that is they are starting to roll out self-serve advertising. Amazon is doing it and Paramount is doing it. And there's a bunch of companies, too, like Waymark out of Detroit that actually will make TV commercials for you using AI that are I've seen, you know, that are I've seen the demos and it's like it's pretty idiot proof and they're, they're decent. They're better than late night car dealer ads. And once you start getting a lot of these small local businesses or the sort of businesses that exist on Amazon to have TV commercials, yes, then we can get to what Aaron was talking about, where it's like very, very targeted, sort of the way Amazon does it. So we will get there. Yeah. Aaron, how like, do we re- go ahead? It's this fine line, right? Because at the end of the day, you actually want to have ads that are personalized to you. While at the, at the same time, to Aaron's point, the younger generation, they post everything on social media. So the idea of privacy and data is really, once again, it's a generational gap issue relative to it is, I mean, my niece loves to like, you know, use Venmo and everyone knows exactly what they're buying on all or who they're sharing it. So, so I think that is going to, this is just a temporary issue that I think lawmakers love to get around, especially political season. But, you know, as the, as we get uh, younger candidates in office, they're going to recognize this is not as big of a deal as people I agree like. with these 100%. The fact is that today's 20-year-olds have been born with an iPhone in their hand and with the, the value proposition that if they give a little data and info, they get more. And I think you're 100% right there, and it's an overblown issue. Yes, should there be some parameters around some of that stuff? Absolutely. I think with the upcoming demise of cookies, you will see more of a push on content and context. 
which is the way the TV business started back yeah. in the 50s. And I think, you know, you're going to see advertising will be the main source of revenue with a little, you know, commerce and a little subscriptions. Context will be how people pick shows and audiences will be how advertisers evaluate success of their campaigns. But, but context so also is in the 50s, 90% yeah. of the audience was white, right? Yeah. It was pretty easy. It was pretty easy to like say, hey, listen, let's just go and target, you know, everyone in this category. And I think that the whole contextual bit, and I agree with you in terms of a lot of, but where I think this idea, the only people that it actually, there's so many disparate views in this country relative to what it was in the 50s, that when we talk about the contextual, just contextual targeting and targeting on the very basic parameters, it forgets about a guy like me, like who is born in India, raised here, who's of Muslim background, who enjoys uh, bourbon, who enjoys, you know, eating certain things. It's like, I want to be reached as an individual in a grouping. Right, but I'm talking no, about that. I'm talking yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. I disagree. Agree. I disagree because contextual relevance is keyword. Yeah. And advertisers who are programmatically buying are familiar with their their the keywords that drive value for them. So they've learned from their Google experience which keywords drive the most value. Let's import that learning to now contextual relevance for programmatic buying for ad placement. So we're analyzing content, creating keyword buckets that are IAB taxonomy down to things that are relevant. So the buyer who's the advertiser programmatically buying knows that, I mean, if it's a cooking show, knows stand mixer works for them in keyword on Google. So now they're going to say, oh, that's a valuable term for me. It comes across programmatically. They want to buy it because they know it. So I think it's an evolution thing as well. Right. And to my point about left-handed jugglers, like that's, that's the value of contextual is that I can't take my data sets from, from digital and import them to TV. They just don't give me the, that. I don't get enough audience. But if I say, oh, people who are interested in cars, people who drink whiskey, whatever it is, or but if I'm Domino's and someone's ordering a pizza on a TV show and I can run my ad, then that's going to be a much better use of targeting. But, but our view, and this is what we do, right? We take data from mobile devices, and we've been able to do this over a longer period of time of app data, location visitation, group them in a, an anonymized way, and then figure out. And I think there is a bridge there. You can have, you can't certainly scale it up if you don't have enough of a, like a reservoir. I mean, that's where like yeah. Amazon, obviously, this is where Google and these folks have those data points. But the key is collab. I think we got to collaborate as an industry a lot more, and just yeah. right. Out- to to Scott's point too earlier, we got to figure out like the pieces of going back to the way things were. But we there was more collaboration back in the day of targeting because we when we had just Nielsen yes. as a standard, it was much easier. Everyone's on the same page. Today we have so many different platforms and so many different like currencies. Yes. that's the problem. One of the interesting uh, statistics I noticed was that Gen Z and millennials are twenty percent more likely to appreciate personalized ads. Why is it? What's with the generational divide? My 12-year-old plays with the TikTok's algorithm. Like, he'll change it to shift it and to see what it does. So I think that the younger generation, again, as Scott said, they're born with the phone in their hand. They they've, just accept, they've just accepted the ads are going to be more intrusive? No, they accept it. They don't think the millennials are more intrusive. I haven't been 20 for a couple of years, but um, but I like it. You know, when I'm on Instagram and there's ads for things that I'm interested in, I'm like, oh, oh this is much better 
than like having to watch pharma ads, you know? Yeah. Also, I think consumers are more in on, like they're kind of in on the joke, you know? Like I think we sometimes maybe take for granted working in advertising, working in this space. Like we understand the business model. We know what's happening. The average person, although Gary, you're, you're, was it your nephew? Like sounds very, you know, ahead of his time, right? But like maybe the average person doesn't have that understanding. So they're kind of in, they're kind of in on it, right? Oh, I can, whether we're talking about, you know, free versus paid, right? Being able to opt out of YouTube after the, after the football game or, oh, I'm getting this ad because I opted into something. I've searched for it. I'm engaged with it. That's why I'm being served the ad. They're kind of, I think it's, it is less intrusive because they know what's happening. To some degree. Yeah, the, mo- the model we've been living by in digital is a burnout on revenue, you know, on brand spend. Like I looked at a clicked on a Chevy truck once. I'm getting Chevy truck ads for the next six months. Yeah. Is, is that a value well, to them? Is that a value? No. Medium? Yeah, no. That's it's where like, like the frequency controlling and, and yeah, yeah, that all good. comes into play much more. It's, got, it's the quest for the right ad at the right time, setting a stage for a perfect date or a restraining order. <laughs> perfect date, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's more irritating when you get an ad that's not personalized. Like I, I used to take yeah. my dad to Costco, and uh, my dad was older, so I would buy him. You know, he had unfortunately at that time had that were diapers, adult diapers, and so now I'm getting targeted ads for all kinds of things that are like connected to that. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm not, you're not, it, you know, it's not, you know, I'm not in your zone, and you assumed I was, and I think that's yeah, that's, I get. When yeah. my son uses my computer occasionally, I get all the targeted gaming ads and stuff for all his games and stuff. And yeah. right. obviously, yeah. it to me. It opens up a thing about streaming and programmatic too. In that you have five different people in your home watching five different things with five different viewing behaviors. What are they getting? You know what I mean? Are they getting a collective to the single device, or are they getting unique streaming by an account? So it's it's also it's the same issue going on in streaming. No, that's that's a huge issue for TV because TV is a and that's something people often forget. TV is a group activity, digital is a solo activity. So all that sort of targeting has to be adjusted, even down to recommendations. You know, even recommendations. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, well you know, with the fact that most young people aren't paying for their subscription, they will eventually. Are you really even targeting the right people? So when when will this magical thing where they pay for their own subscriptions happen? I'm, I'm I just want to be curious. <laughs> Asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. Yeah. Well, yeah. we do in our house because we have multiple accounts on Netflix. So each of my kids have their own account, not not paid account, but set up a different profile, right? Mm-hmm. So each one has their own profile. They get their own recommendations. My kid gets the car shows, and I get the dramas. You know, it's it's broken up, so you can do it that way. But overall, it's an issue. But when they leave your IP address, they're done, right? According to Netflix now. So, right? That's yeah. the issue. At the same IP address, everyone's great. But, you know. Yeah, right? yeah. And by the way, and Google makes it easier too, right? I have friends who are like, hey, Google allows me to add a couple more people to your account. Yeah. Why don't we add you? So, it's, it's wild. They make it yeah. easier overall. Okay. Issue number four, the metric morass. Morass. Uh, measuring success in the streaming universe. Are we navigating by the stars of streaming success? Or are we lost in space? Uh, the holy grail of metrics has become the industry's own version of whose line is it anyways, where everything is made up and the points don't really matter. I was hoping to have Dave from Single Media here, but he is actually in the Ukraine still. So um, he was going to speak about this. I, 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 but I go ahead. It. You can be Dave today. I'll be Dave. Um, pretend I'm Dave from Single Media. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of a a new era with the fact that you know we we're used to panel based 
um, measurement. And now we're kind of introducing census wide. And I think the, the JIC has made it very clear that panel level isn't satisfactory in isolation. We're, we're working on um, using both together, right? I think a, a lot of these companies, iSpot and VideoAmp and Comscore, they're all kind of licensing out like T-Vision to, to get um, panel based to uh, fortify their, their existing um, census level measurement. So um, we're, we're, we're making progress. I mean, I, I think, I said Dick, but like it's a little bit different from how it's done, like in Europe, where it is a single provider. It's kind of uh, determined to be a, a currency for a given format, and here it's, it's kind of like a oligarchy. Um, but it's taking a while, and that's the problem. But I, I do think we're moving in the right direction uh, and away from kind of just the static quo with, with Nielsen for, for decades previously. Although I, I Over think 60% of. Go ahead, Aziz. The game of attrition that's about to happen. I mean, Nielsen, people underestimated Nielsen. They changed leadership. They have more money. They have more power. They're catching up fast. So I think this whole idea of underestimating Nielsen was always over. We, as a company, we recognized we were going to do analytics and insights and not go up. In fact, you know, partner up with Nielsen wherever we could because this idea of challenging Nielsen, yes, they had their follies. But I think this this idea of like, you know, the numbers were overblown and Nielsen is catching up fast. So I believe that the standard is going to eventually be on Nielsen and Comscore is going to catch up because they know what they're doing. And I think there's just too much time has passed that the initial lead that some of these folks had thought they had has dissipated. And so, I think yeah. people um, are underestimating the, the, the power of incumbency with respect to Nielsen. There is, and I agree, Aziz, with you again. Um, the <clears throat> Nielsen is, you got currency and you got measurement. And the systems of packaged goods marketers and the ad agencies are built on years and years and years of Nielsen. And if all of a sudden one of the competitors says you're reaching 20% fewer people, that wreaks havoc for everyone along the value chain. And I think. There will be, there will be alternatives, but I think it's going to be, going to take longer. Alan went probably when people pay for their subscriptions. It <laughs> will be, it will be longer, uh, than people think. And I agree with you. They got tons of money and they have the lead. And while there will be loud competitors, don't underestimate the power of, of 50 years plus. Yeah, there's a tech thing that's happening, too, that's going to change a lot of this, and that's a switch from IPv4 to IPv6 without giving you a whole lesson in it. Basically, when we move to IPv6, you won't be able to geolocate people by IP address or even sort of keep, you know, keep tabs on them via that, and that's going to change a lot of the value of ACR data for people who aren't keeping up to it and just in general. So that's happening in the next couple of years, and that's going to sort of shift the whole measurement game. And what will that do, Alan? Just out of here, what 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 will that? Who so will you that won't be able, like right now, I can look at an IP address and by the by the address know what area of the country it is, and pretty much, and I won't be able to do that anymore. So there'll there'll have to be other ways to locate people. It'll make things like owning email addresses more important. It'll make things like 
having like an in, you know, being able to sort of track the in-house network that companies like Visby are doing, like all that kind of stuff is going to take on greater importance. The ACR vendors are going to have to figure out other ways to track people. So it's, it's an interesting sort of shift that I don't have the full answer for the effect, but it will, it will be a big shift. And that's just we're running out of addresses. We're running out of IP addresses. Still getting a lot of data flowing through that. And so the key is, right, like it depends on, and the platforms are still going to get the data. The question is, are they going to push that data to these, you know, companies? That And that's the real question because they're so dependent on that ACR data today that that is going to be the, the challenge that they got it to Alan's point. That's the challenge they're going to deal with. Like, Nielsen doesn't have that. That's why they integrate with Amazon and they can integrate with a few other people to get that data. That's going to be a really interesting time. Sam Marcus say that the standard, the lack of a standardized measurement is the biggest hurdle in streaming advertising. Uh, are we any closer to measuring the big bang impact of our ads? I don't think that's the reason. Mm -hmm. I think, I think they just don't know enough. I think they're just making excuses for why they're not in the streaming. And to Scott's point, look, there's still a lot of scale on linear. Let's not, you know, the dead days are not here. And, and I don't, I really don't believe it's the standardization of measurement. I think it's the incumbency of Nielsen and they're just waiting for Nielsen to get their ducks in a row. And once yeah. Nielsen gets their ducks in a row, that is what they're going to fall behind. And then all of a sudden the money is going to flow into to streaming. I think there, there's mm. a, you know, incumbency comfort level that is really kind of, that's worth it. Because most, when I talk to CMOs or I talk to people at different levels, they don't have the time to deal with things that we're all dealing with. They just don't. They just want to check off the box and move on. TV was easy. Like now it's not. And that's and that's what a lot of the response is. It used to be, oh, you know, there were three networks. It was Nielsen and you just did it. It wasn't that hard. Now it's hard. Does it, does it matter um, whether the budget's controlled by like the linear team at an agency versus a actual programmatic digital team? Because I mean, they, they've got to be more mature on the programmatic side looking beyond just kind of 50 well, what's your question when you say does it matter the dollars are still generally speaking for 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 television are controlled today by the linear broadcasting people but youtube in most places lives in the digital world there's going to come a point very soon where that flips or meshes differently because, as Alan will tell you, YouTube is the fastest growing CTV channel there there is, and people are watching more programming there and spending more time there as short form programming becomes more accepted with younger right. people proliferating the usage. But but I would say to you today, the the, the issues that the agencies have relate to the fact that most agencies, while they're trying to address it, are set up uh, in silo organizations where you have digital and programmatic and even commerce existing in separate places from the video television buyers. And that's coming together, but each place is different. Yeah, but if you look at YouTube overall, they, they, I have an account on my phone in a, in a mobile experience I have my account on the television. They know what I'm doing across the, the, the screens. So it really becomes a convergence. And how is that going to be managed? To your point, Hunter, whose budget is that? Where is that? The guy is spending, or lady is spending money for it, that. Got, I don't know if this is still the case, but I, I heard recently, and there's some stats on this, that only 
is spent on programmatic. And I, I could be wrong about that, but that's the number that I keep hearing. So programmatic, yes, it's a big and it continues to grow, but it's only a, a smaller percentage relative to the overall budget that is being spent. The average viewer uses about three different devices for streaming, uh, sometimes at the same time, as we mentioned before. The uh, Super Bowl, most people watch it literally, but they also use their phone at the same time. How are we going to do cross-platform measurement? For viewership. That's a drastic cross-platform measurement for viewership. I mean, there's ways to track the in-home network, like off of off of a single router. That's a little bit more confusing. Um, I'm not an expert on that, but I know I've, I've had people show it to me, you know, that it exists. Any metrics that you'd, you would like to see that would better help you understand viewer engagement and streaming ads? Ideally, if all of the major players would pool their data, then that would be, you know, we would then have something close to census level data, but that's yeah. not going to happen. So why aren't they? Is it just competition? Is that just the only reason? Yeah. Yeah, they, they all feel that they have an advantage to having it on their own. Some of them do want to coordinate. Some of them do want to cooperate with everybody and some of them don't. So it's, you know, it varies. But so yes. You could make a prediction who's going to be around in five years besides Nielsen. I spot. Say I spot. Besides I spot and Nielsen. Scott, you were the one that said, um, you know, there's, there's a difference between currency and measurement. So um, even if we select one currency provider, you're going to have yeah. alternate vendors for measurement there will always always be a place you know whether it's more performance based or this one it's is based really on the client who's buying it's based on mm -hmm. the type of client the industry and all that i would say to you, it's going to take longer to dislodge currency because they're built into the financial systems but but it is happening it just may not happen in a drastic way for a very long time so the audience is different the consumption is different the distribution is different and, and quite honestly, role AI play in this and machine learning is a proxy for actual, you know, outcomes. And really what advertisers continue to focus more on is outcomes. And so currency for the time being is a proxy. But as people get more sophisticated and can track back into that conversion funnel, that I think is where a lot of the industry is going to continue going is the performance focused mindset as it relates to it. So, Yes, I think in the in the short term, I think Nielsen will be the incumbent for a long time. But I think that's shifting because people are like, great. Well, I can't trust that number. I know what our folks did on sales this last month. That's really what it's going to be driven by more and more. Yeah, yeah the, at the end result, they're selling stuff, no matter how you look at it. So it, it, the commerce component becomes huge. Well... Yes and no, Gary. So there's a decent number of the ad um, amount of money spent on TV. And again, going back to the Pepsi's and whatnot, you know, their thing is our audience is everyone with a mouth. If I'm Mercedes, I want to put my ad in front of people who won't be able to buy a Mercedes for 20 years so that when they can, you know, to build up that sort of desire. So there's a whole component of sort of image advertising, but there's also a way to, to sort of monitor that. To, you know, to, to your point, like you can measure that too. It's not based on sales. But it's based on you know brand recognition, brand desirability. There's other metrics you can use. It also goes to in store, the brick and mortar. I mean, that, yeah, we, we do correlation of of online matching to in store activity to define did that ad drive any walk ins. So I mean, there's there's so many layers to that that you can get into. So moving on to creativity, we mentioned briefly that ads kind of sucked now, especially during the mm -hmm. Super Bowl. Um, I guess I have to ask. Why are why do ads why are they so bad right now online? Online or on or, TV? Oh, in general, everywhere. 
personal streaming opinion. online tv well, linear what we've, what we've seen is a migration right so people were taking their tv ad that they run state farm and putting it on youtube and putting it on digital and so now everybody's saying okay well we need to get creative they're trying to figure it out so i think everybody's a b testing at this point of what gets me the most value and what does my creative look like are the celebrities in in this is is arnold schwarzenegger and as state farm guy going to be valuable or not i mean i guess we'll wait and see i, I think the economics of the of the agency model has changed a lot where at one point creative was leading their revenue and now it's changed to where it's programmatic and media and so because of that there these are holding companies and scott knows this better than me but these are major holding companies who have less incentive to spend as much on their creative talent and on their infrastructure and and more and more that's why they need people like Gary's company to depend on external resources because they're cutting internal resources to get the most efficient. I can testify to that. I mean, I started out, like I you know, told you guys, I started out in the creative department at, you know, big and boutique ad agencies. And we were the golden kids, you know, we were the gold. And, and then, and then all of a sudden we weren't. And now a hundred percent of these, like they've stopped investing in the talent and, you know, and I think we will see a correction. I think at some point they're going to, people are going to realize like you can target the ad as well as, you know, as perfectly as you want. If nobody, if it doesn't hit somebody emotionally, what does it matter? Yeah. But yeah. to your I point, th- Alan, I think at the AI, end of the day, and, and I'm sorry, Aaron. No, to, no, no, go ahead. Uh, to the point of AI and, di- and AI generated ad content, that could be dynamic on the fly on a vast ad. So the ad that you see may be different than the ad that, that Scott sees in where he's sitting or what he's doing or what he's watching, the, the AI can configure it in real time. So right, the creative so, becomes a variable. That, that's right, but so the, long as that AI ad, you know, has an emotional connection. We always say people remember yeah. TV commercials they saw 20 years ago. They barely remember banner ads they saw 20 minutes ago. Yeah, but you all probably remember Mikey, right? So it's that's like, what I'm saying. That's a TV commercial yeah. from... Years and years yeah. ago, because it connected emotionally, and we need to continue. I've had five conversations this week about Apple, about the Apple Super Bowl ad, and I've had maybe one conversation about the Boston ad, and it's and one one ad was a couple of days ago, another one was what thirty years ago, forty years ago. Yeah, it was a thirty-year anniversary. I thought the Doritos ad was pretty forty forty years ago. <laughs> forty years ago. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah, so interesting enough, the speaking of AI, ad creative content created by AI has increased two hundred percent. But only 20% of consumers actually think they're relevant and work. So incredible. moving on, what's the yeah, elephant in the room challenge? Yeah, and why are we tiptoeing a, around it? Based on, I think that's a variable that's still in, in evolution oh. and AI testing. I don't think you can you could blanket that at this point for AI-generated ads. We don't do AI-generated ads, but I think that's still TV. Right, back to my other question. So what is the elephant in the room challenge? And why are we tiptoeing around it? I think the, the challenge is the fraud element that that exists in streaming TV and that no one is really kind of addressing in a bigger way. And this idea of fraud, this idea of, uh, you know, in terms of frequency capping, these are all issues that no one really wants to deal with. And when we go have conversations with leaders at agency world and no one really wants to deal with it because linear TV in their perspective and, and I, you know, is eroding at a fast rate. You got to move that money somewhere. Uh, and no one is really asking the question of, well, you know, are we making sure we're doing all these pieces uh, to, to, I mean, we're certainly, they're certainly trying DV's ahead of it and DV's doing a great job. And, you know, we do our own 
internal analytics in addition to what we use with DB. But I think there's still, and IAS is certainly doing that, but there's a lot, a lot of room for improvement in that category. It's, it's, it's an area that we see a lot of, we saw more, when we, when we used to do fraud mitigation in mobile as a company, we saw certain amounts of it until the FBI got involved and they started doing some crackdown. That has not happened in CTV OTT. And so we're still seeing a lot of, and it always happens, by the way, around big events, Super Bowl. It happens around election cycles. The number of fraudulent IDs goes up uh, around these period of times. And I think we need to, as an industry, do more about it. Is it because the prices go up? Yeah, yeah. Demand goes up in fourth quarter. You will see what we have seen. We've done studies in the past, and we will see this escalation in Q4 of you know the number of fraudulent bots that we're picking up on from external countries. And it's like, and it's all in, it's in the supply source. It's in supply sources that all the trade desks are using. And no one is really mitigating that a whole lot. And we're doing our own kind of analysis in addition to what we use with DV. And it's, it's surprising. And I don't think we've, We've looked enough and, and done enough work in that area. I think the other potential elephant in the room is with the deprecation of the cookie and um, identity evolution as as everyone kind of um, finds their own solutions. And, you know, we've talked about measurement and targeting, right? Uh, then there starts to, we we're recreating these walled gardens. So all of that data that exists um, without sharing it, as we've discussed here along the way, is ultimately not going to prove value to the advertiser and to Alan's point on creative and investing more in creative, it's going to not serve the consumer in the end because it's what we do with the, with the measurement that we get at the end to help inform the start of that cycle all over again. Aaron, What's one a, of the, go ahead. I was just going to add to what Aaron said as far as the cookie list thing, um, the major problem, I think it might have actually been mentioned on another panel, um, um, was that there's just so many uh, I alternate IDs and, and mm-hmm. methods for resolving it. And so no one wants to kind of pinpoint a single vendor to kind of bank and so I think it's still kind of a wait and see approach yeah. those workers are taking. What's a question that makes your your eyes roll every single time it's asked? And what was the what, what is the answer that would make it obsolete? Oh, is streaming the future yeah. <laughs> subscriber deprecation? How's that? Like <laughs> the president. <laughs> is my, just, and I always ask my last question and if you've been on the show before and Scott has, you'll remember it if you could send yourself a time traveling text back to the past when you started in the industry what would you tell yourself and would you listen I would go back and tell myself that build contextual keyword engine <laughs> nothing is going to happen as quickly as you think it will yeah. I hate to I agree with Alan. I, I don't know if there's a I, I was in a conference room with a media buyer in nineteen ninety one telling me how the TV industry would die in the next few years and how everything would be automated and my job was at stake and everything was gonna be done in nineteen ninety one and here we are today, still in advertising and still doing things the good old fashioned way. So I, I couldn't agree more. Aaron? I'd say give more credit to digital. You know, I started in linear at cable networks and I remember interviewing for a digital sales position and thinking, oh my gosh, you guys have like zero measurement. It's like the wild west. What are you doing over here? At least we have Nielsen and C3 ratings. Um, so I'd say, you know, lean into it, embrace it, learn from it, um, and then t- take that and apply it. Apply it to good old TV. I don't think we got to Hunter yet? Uh, no. Um, kind of a spin on Aaron's actually. Um, you know, this has been a really 
invigorating conversation for me on, on TV and the landscape of streaming. And so if I were to send myself a text, it would be probably to, to take the plunge and dive into this landscape um, earlier than I have. I've been in ad tech for a while, but TV is still kind of a relatively new thing for me and I'm still enjoying it. So, Would you listen yeah. to yourself? Good question. Um, oh, I like TV, you know, um, better than better than some other environments. And last but not least, I don't remember your answer last time, Scott, but what about this time? So the question is, if I could send myself a text way back, what would I say? Yes. To when you started in the industry. Become an investment banker and hell with the media business. <laughs> not get into the business. <laughs> yeah. That's our show. Thank you, everyone. And that's all, folks. Please consider sponsoring Adotat to keep independent and really witty tech journalism alive. We can't run this on good feelings and rainbows 